I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today, we are going to be joined by military veterans Arlo Doyle and Frank DeVito, who's on the phone, uh, to discuss the nation's withdrawal from Afghanistan after 20 years in the war on terror. And, you know, when this first happened, this is 2021 now, obviously, uh, 2001, just after 9-11, the, uh, the Bush administration, they made this huge pitch as to why to go. And at the time, they were going into Iraq. But then, as time went on, we we kept expanding our... our well, our, they went into Afghanistan yeah. to look for Osama bin Laden, bin Laden, and that was the real war on terror. The, our, the Iraq invasion was, oh, they have weapons of mass destruction. That came a little later. But that yeah. Was a, yeah, which was a lie. Yeah, where, where so, it was all so to be clear, Afghanistan BS. actually came first, and it was the war on terror, and it was let's go get Osama bin Laden and break up Al Qaeda, the people, and and basically, the pitch was um, we have to uh, you know hit back for for nine eleven. We have to go after the people who attacked us. And we've learned some things since then. Uh, <laughs> like the fact that uh, most of those people were from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. We. We started the operations in Afghanistan by November. Uh, I mean, we started the operations immediately, but we were boots on ground, I think, by November of the same year, 2001. And we were going in there to uh, – we knew that uh, Taliban and, and – uh, So, Frank, other, was there a Taliban back in the, uh, the early part, or was it al-Qaeda? Uh, yes, yes. So Taliban definitely, yes, was there. Uh, they, uh, they had taken uh, power in, like, the 90s. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and they were, and they were a pretty atrocious, um, governing force and we never recognized them officially as a, as a government, um, in Afghanistan. Now, something uh, that is kind of important to point out. So I believe it was right around 94, 95 when the Taliban technically, took control of Afghanistan, but they really only controlled the southern part of uh, the country. Uh, their seat of power was in Kandahar, which is mm. one of the largest cities in Afghanistan. And then primarily the northern parts of the country and Kabul were controlled by forces that we armed, better known as the Northern Alliance. Um mm. And they kind of just controlled their little tribal areas. There were certain warlords who controlled so the what, areas. But what was yeah. this? The Soviet invasion was in the seventies, right? Right. And so, and that was like a twenty-year. Yeah, war. and they and 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 yeah. they they basically had like we could have learned some lessons from the Russians. Also, you could look at Vietnam and France 
Yeah. And same, same thing. So, so I think it's important to have kind of just that little history in your mind. But the Taliban has been a force, like you say, since the 90s. Mostly, I, my understanding is in villages, but they gained a lot of power because there was a power vacuum in a lot of places. Um, so we go into this, um, into Afghanistan, with what we say is a narrow purpose and mission. And then it just keeps getting bigger. And these, I asked these two guys, how many tours did you do in Afghanistan? I was there twice. Twice, and you were in Iraq twice. Once. Right? Or once. Okay. So, Arlo, what, uh, give us a little bit of background on your uh, military service. Uh, so uh, I joined the Army in April of 2001. Um, on September 11th, I was at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, which is not that far from where the Pentagon is and all of that stuff. It's all part of the military district of Washington. Um, my first tour in Afghanistan, I was with a PSYOPs unit. Um, so we did a lot of... How quickly were you in Afghanistan? Like what was the year? Do you remember? I was... Uh, so it was mid-2002 was okay. the first time I went there. So pretty, pretty soon after, yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, so yeah, my first tour there, I was... With a, a psyops unit, so we did do. We spent a lot of time going out, doing villages assessments, and trying to find out what the people needed. Uh, doing that good old winning the hearts and minds, yeah. which was not very successful, unfortunately. And then, Frank, Frank, what's your what's background? Your background? Uh, yeah, so I was also army and uh, uh, worked with intelligence. Um, I was a human intelligence collector. Um, and, what does that uh, mean, Frank? <laughs> So, so we collect information about what's going on from uh, human sources. So, you know, we talk to people directly. Okay. So that's, uh, so that's interviewing people, uh, interviews, interrogations, um, uh, source operations, meaning just, you know, developing relationships with individuals and parties and people to be able to, you know, gather a, a, a picture of what's happening um, in, the, in the working space. Well, so that I mean, so you're one of the people who is dependent on uh, native Afghans to help you, right? Uh, interpreters, uh, driver, oh, to- transportation. Yeah, totally. Our that's uh, yeah. I mean, we, absolutely. You know, we studied like we study language in uh, in in intelligence. Uh, you know, it requires that you have a language and. Um, and so we study that and learn, you know, Pashto or, or Farsi or whatever is, uh, you know, needed there. But we still use the interpreters. They're heavily relied on. Yeah. So what let me just get quickly. We probably want to go into the second segment with well, this. No, we got two minutes. Two, two minutes. OK. Why don't you first, Frank, give us your reaction to what happened this week? Um, you know, so I'm sad. I was sad. And I still am. I, I'm, you know, I carry a morning. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's been a very long fight, and a lot of hope has been built in my heart at different times and different points in time for different reasons. Um, you know, I've had some conversations with individuals that are from there that um, that really are such good people, and um, and I developed a lot of love and respect for for them and where they were coming from, and some of the things that they saw their countrymen, you know, these Taliban do to their country is so heartbreaking. I mean, I've been in tears in, in the middle of this war zone in tears with men, you know, hardened men, war, war fighting men, 
who are from there who are just brokenhearted. And I'm my heart breaks with them right now. And and I'm you know and I'm brokenhearted because I feel like uh, we have so many of our own lessons to be able to learn from. We have the lessons of other nations to learn from, and it feels like we're over here, you know, uh, screwing up the end game again. Yeah. Arlo, I want to get, uh, give yourself about a minute. So what do you, what were your feelings when you found out about this? Uh, I would say defeated and sort of, uh, deflated. Um, so like when things went to crap in Iraq, I really didn't care one way or another, even though Iraq was the area where I got injured. Um, Afghanistan for me is sort of it it is where I lost my innocence and my innocent view on the world and knowing just how much Afghanistan changed me as an individual and knowing what I was like before I went to Afghanistan and then seeing you know basically it's right back where it was in 2001 and we have spilled countless blood and treasure over there and we have absolutely nothing to show for it. And so that that is probably the hardest part for me. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. I, I want to get a sense from uh, you gentlemen. What, what do you think happens, you know, now that this this transition is going on? What does the future look like for the people uh, in Afghanistan? We're speaking today with uh, – uh, Arlo Doyle and Frank DeVito, who are both uh, Army veterans and who have served time in the Middle East and trying to get their perspective on our nation's withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan after 20 years uh, involving the war on terror. You're listening to Voices of Reason. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. back with Voices of Reason, Amy Donaldson, Jason Lee, today joined by Arlo Doyle and Frank DeVito, who are both uh, Army veterans who served time in the Middle East and have perspective uh, that obviously first person perspective on what's going on. As America now, it, uh, it draws down its troops from Afghanistan after 20 years. And well, one, one thing I wanted to point out, though, uh, at the end of the last segment, Arlo said that, you know, we don't really have anything to show for what we sacrificed. And to some degree, I'm going to 100 percent agree with that. But but there's I do. I did hear an article. I read an article about um, those who have been raised under basically U.S. rule. So even though we've had this, gov- the, you know, an, an Afghani government, it's really been U.S. rule there for 20 years. And there are there are Afghani's who don't know any other country. The country they know is a Western version of their country, and that looks to be a dying pretty a pretty rapid death. And so I just I wondered first just to start your thoughts, Arlo, and then Frank, what happens to people like that, and or is there hope that they can move their country into a different direction? 
Well, I, w- I would certainly hope that those who have, you know, basically been living in, you know, what we made a, a free country and they they have had a taste of what freedom is like. So I, I think now we just look and that we hope that those younger folks, you know, they fight for what they want. I mean, we – us being there as Americans, we're viewed as an occupying force. But if, if, if the people of Afghanistan decide that, you know, we don't want this anymore, we want this thing. I mean, it's, it, it can be contagious, but it's got to come – from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is really no way for any kind of outside entity to come in and say, this is how you're going to live and this is what freedom is like and you're going to yeah. like it. Yeah, and if you put yourself in their situation, you wouldn't want that either. I would I would probably fight that, even if it was good for me. Yeah. Right? So, Frank, uh, did you have some thoughts? Real quick. Uh, yeah. So, Arlo, before we started this, we had a little talk about that and I, I, I'm going to come back yeah. and he's going to explain kind of with that uh, resentment and, and resistance to accepting kind of our doctrine uh, is how it's different from uh, what they would do. But sure. uh, Frank, your your thoughts? Well, so so the Afghan people are really uh, resilient people, and they're they're a really a really lovely uh, people. There's and there's a variety of folks there, right? I mean, um, you know, you have different tribes, and you got a lot of history. And, um, you know, there's a, there's, you know, a a variety of, you know, race and, uh, and culture that develops under the Afghan, um, umbrella, the national umbrella. But, um, uh, so I do have hope. I mean, I have hope for them. I think that they, you know, there's, there's a hope that they will, you know, fight, uh, but, it's been, it's been a very we're at the minimum threshold 20 years of presence uh and assistance in developing and we and and we haven't really been occupying in, in like the traditional sense of the term right like we have not been influencing them um the way that you know an, a traditional occupying force would we haven't been in there like enforcing our culture and our rules on them we've been we've no, only been there don't you think we've been bribing them with money and and toys i feel like uh, a really bad parent <laughs> i mean well, i yeah i mean what do, and what do you think of the equipment that we left there do you think that's going to be problematic well that's i mean that's another question right i yeah. mean you know i mean in 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 answering you know this this first question yeah, yeah. I, I think hope and there's and there's uh there's reason to hope but i also think that again we're at this minimum threshold of presence and the training and the time they need to really have like adopted the strength that that uh that that they have available to them mm-hmm. um and the and the uh the force of arms that they have available to them uh, you know we're really at the minimum threshold of that and the taliban knows that and those, and 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 you know and so do the other warlords i mean you know the country is is a country that fell to warlords after the soviet invasion and and so you know when we think of this you know we it's not it's not so linear as a one to one or a one to one with a one backing remember the entire world was with us all of nato was in that country okay it wasn't like we were there alone um you know this entire world went in there to do this and assist in this and mm-hmm. so 
And so that's another, you know, that's a heartbreaking thing on top of it. But, you know, and then this other question that you have is, uh, is another question entirely, right? Like, um, uh, how did you phrase that? Would you repeat it for me? Yeah. This, what do we do with all that equipment that we left there? Tanks and helicopters and planes, which were, you know, some people assert were built to just make money for defense contractors. Well, I mean, they were built to fight war Mm -hmm. and, uh, they made money for defense contractors, but that's, that's not that's not their entire purpose unless you were the defense contractor send but even if you're selling these things that you're mm-hmm. selling them so you have effective tools for war for your war fighters this is war you know and and we want the best stuff we can get and we tried to get it there Iraq got everything really fast including the personnel that they needed I mean you know Iraq got so much attention it, I felt like it withdrew from Afghanistan and a number of times Afghanistan's been marginalized and the importance of it has been marginalized so many times. That we don't even know what we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. people don't even know, you know, here we are 20 years of experience and we're still asking questions that are like basic and fundamental to what was going on there in the first place. But, and it, yeah. So, I mean, the equipment is there and mm-hmm. it should be there, but now it's in the wrong hands because we've handled this thing incorrectly in the end. And it wasn't that we handled it because of a lack of knowing what we ought to have done. We handled it this way out of a, out of a pressure that was present politically mm-hmm. from our people here who are so ill-informed in the first place, yeah. which is a, other, a whole other complex issue that we've run into, right? Like, you know, the last 10, 15 years of American politics has been such a, a horror show. Mm-hmm. You so know, I, uh, I would say it goes beyond that, but uh, but Arlo, what are your, do you have some thoughts on that, like that political element of it? Does it, it obviously makes it more complicated. and So, I mean, the political element of it, I, I, politics shouldn't be involved here, honestly mm-hmm. speaking. When, when, when it comes to how – How could we, it not be? Well, yeah. it's the way our politics is slung around. Yeah. I mean, uh, there, are, there are people who are well-informed, present great, rational, logical arguments, but that's not how people change their views. People are very motivated by emotion. And so yeah. when you have the political leaders that are out there saying, oh, we need to do this for patriotism or we need to do this for the humanitarian aspect of it, you know, they're they're almost just beating their own chest to make themselves look good. And they rarely follow through mm-hmm. on what they actually say. So, I mean, here we are, four presidents, five presidents later. 20 years and you know we have been the the country as a whole has been fed this promise of when we leave Af- when we leave Afghanistan everything's going to be fine and then 11 days later it goes it goes <laughs> right <laughs> and and so you know the politics of it is you know we should have had a clear like dictated this is what we're going to do i mean i understand that plans change but a lot of the rationale and stuff behind, you know, what we've done or what we're trying to do is emotionally charged and oftentimes not very well thought out. So when we come back, uh, you, uh, Amy's raising her hand, so we, we want to keep going with our discussion. But I also want to get to, you know, did we go in there with the right ideas? Because I, I think we, we thought some things that didn't kind of uh, come to fruition and how might we have done it better so that we might have had a, a, 
a more favorable outcome for not just for us, but for the people of Afghanistan as well. Uh, speaking today with uh, Frank DeVito and Arlo Doyle, two uh, Army veterans, talking about the withdrawal from uh, the Middle East after 20 years uh, of the war on terror. Amy Donaldson, Jason Lee, this is Voices of Reason. Lee, Amy Donaldson, Voices of Reason. We're back with uh, Arlo Doyle and Frank DeVito, uh, speaking their military veterans uh, from the Army, and uh, both of whom have served time uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, the other places in the Middle East and apparently Southeast Asia, because I don't know my geography. <laughs> and uh, Frank, uh, explain to me where I've, I've heard this for 20 years. Uh, you know, we call all of that area the Middle East, and basically, I am an ugly American. I admit we, that. We, right now. as in the media, I and understand we're wrong. the media, but and we're wrong. <laughs> uh, but uh, explain to the, our listeners that uh, the distinction, the distinction between where Afghanistan is and kind of where the other places are. Yeah, so south, Southwest Asia is where Afghanistan is, and and you know, to call it the Middle East, it's a uh, you know that's a common thing. Uh, you know, you're not. You're not entirely wrong to say it because it's a commonly used, you know, uh, statement. But technically, it's Southwest Asia. And, uh, you know, and it sits between, you know, Iran, Pakistan, China, um, and uh, south of, like, Kyrgyzstan and, and you know, those uh, uh, those areas there. You know, it's interesting, so, to be honest with you, I never really understood uh, what, what the Middle East was because, like, that that's not, like, I know it's a region, but it's not really because it doesn't give you a sense of that it's in Asia. Again, right. we all think Asians are uh, Korean, Chinese, uh, Thai, Japanese. But Asia, it's a large country. And if you want to know the truth about it, there's uh, China and uh, – well, China, not is Asia, but uh, Russia. Part of Russia is yeah. in Asia. And most yeah. people – well, I guess they call it Eurasia is, is how that works. So I, I – as an American, I, I need to work better on my, my geopolitics and my geography in general. Well, so. I was interested in the conversation you and Arlo had about sort of the hearts and minds because that was part of the deal. Right. Yeah. So what? What, I, what I suggested that if, somebody, if an occupying force came to America, we as Americans would stand up against it. We wouldn't care what it was coming right. for. Yeah. But Arlo gave me uh, some perspective on the, the, the major difference in how this is viewed uh, in Afghanistan, for instance. So uh, the 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 big sort of cultural difference between us as Americans and the Afghanis is so yeah. in yeah <laughs> Afghan sorry but Afghanis they're yeah but they are a, a very tribal centric culture so yeah. it, it it boils down to they are very very concerned about their immediate family mm-hmm. and then their concern is about their village Mm -hmm. and then their concern is about their tribe overall when it comes to sort of a national identity they've never really had that whereas here in america you know it's we identify as americans you know Mm. we don't break it up there's no we don't have that's more important than your identity as a utah yeah correct so we don't really have that sense of a tribal culture and Going over there and being like, hey, look, we're going to offer you guys all this freedom. We're going to help you build this nation. That 
wasn't really building a nation was is not like a concern for the everyday Afghani. They're they're more concerned about just trying to make it day by day and not, you know, have their village wiped out or not starve to death or anything like that. Whereas us were like, oh, hey, I want to go travel. Let's go do this. I'm from America. And it, we it doesn't care about tr- the national education policy. And, you know, yeah. Right. And so the our. Our, our perception of what should be important versus their perception of what is important to them are are are, okay. are far off from each other. So knowing that, let's go back to Jason's question, and Frank, you can field this one. Did we go in there with the right purpose? I mean, I know we went in there after to break up Al Qaeda and to go after Osama bin Laden, which yeah, obviously everyone's going to say that's the right purpose. But did we have the right well, considering the fact he was in Pakistan, I don't know that it was. But, I mean, what do you, do you think well, we had the right yeah, like mindset and tools? And did you feel that way as a soldier? Like, hey. Well, we had a responsive mindset going in, right? We had been attacked, so we were going back in to, you know, wreck it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is an appropriate war-fighting mindset. They declared war. We declared war. It's done. Now we're in war. Mm-hmm. And so— the appropriate mindset is to go in there and fight a war and destroy, right? Yeah. So we went there and we eliminated and began to eliminate our, our enemy. But we did this. Let, let me say something very important here. We did this in such an advanced way. The, the When I say advanced, I don't just mean technologically. I mean, like, on an ethical uh, level, we had so much advancement in the approach we took going into Afghanistan. It was very careful in a lot of ways. And when I say that, oh, yeah, there's always room to learn, right? We are definitely have things that we need to improve from this. But, uh, you know, almost in some ways we were too um, careful and too considerate because, I mean, you know, uh, these guys uh, have been fighting hard. In, in, in a hard war, in a hard way, in a way that has a disregard for life and, and certain ethical boundaries that we have ourselves tied to as as Americans. And really, I mean, around the globe, NATO, um, hmm. you know, there's so many of us that went in there with a certain ethical mindset that, I mean, it's unprecedented, really. It's so amazing what we did. But it also tied our hands in a lot of ways. So, yes, did we go in there with the right intention? Sure, it was a good intention. It was a right intention. So we went in there to kick some ass. And Mm -hmm. what other intention is there but that when you're going in to go kick some ass? But we also went in there with a lot of consideration for culture and and not going in there to be an occupying force and not going in there to be a conquering force, right? We're not going in there to conquer anybody. We're going in there to destroy and dismantle an element that is a threat to us. And rather than destroying the entire country, yeah. saying screw it all, we're saying, hey, but Afghanistan was very complex because Afghanistan had come out of a destruction from the Soviet invasion yeah. in that period. And um, and also out of a lot of uh, uh, climate, a lot of uh, political climate change where they had gone through, you know, the communist uh, um, approach where they tried to come in through the colleges, they tried to come in through you know, the universities and develop a, a communist relationship that way. And then they went into, uh, you know, warfare. And, um, you know, they were trying to conquer in that old traditional sense. 
And they had come away from that. The Afghans had come away from that war with a new political party rising, who is this Taliban Islamic rule, who is a Pashtun based um, rule. So, you know, Pashtuns have, like uh, Arlo was saying, a Pashtun tribe is uh, like the largest, the predominant tribe in the in the mm-hmm. country, and um, you know, Pashtun Valley, they have their own laws and their own rules about things, and they adopt Islam, but they remain true to their to their tribal culture, which is you know to honor mm-hmm. certain things. This is, there's, and there's a lot of there's me, a lot to that. Yeah, but let me jump in and just I just want to know from Arlo, like, do you think we had the right mindset? I mean, so, do you agree with some of that? What Frank said. So our original mission to go in there and dismantle the terrorist forces and to get Osama bin Laden who ultimately coordinated an attack on American soil, that original mission, yes, that was a noble mission. We we completely and totally should have done that. However, we got bogged down in a quagmire of, you know, trying to change a cultural mindset to be more in line with our own mindset and that that is probably where the failure started yeah can i yeah can i make a dispute with that yeah. yeah go for so, it so so i just disagree in that we were trying to change them we didn't and that's and that was a part of a problem for us is that we didn't we didn't effectively offer any of our culture other than to inform them where we're coming from but more than anything we really tried to adopt and understand their culture and approach them from something they would understand. So I'm going to totally thing. disagree okay, with you. Hold on. We, yeah. We're going to disagree well, yeah. in the next segment. Okay. Uh, so Justin Jason's we'll, taking back, us to break. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. we come back, we will continue this part of the discussion. Uh, I, I love that you, we, we, we <laughs> that get so much out of this. No, it is. And I really appreciate both of you for doing this. Absolutely. Arlo, uh, Arlo Doyle and uh, uh, Frank DeVito. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to keep going uh, right after this. Uh, you're listening to Voices of Reason. Jason Lee, Amy Donaldson, Voices of Reason. We are back with Arlo Doyle and Frank DeVito, uh, two military veterans with experience uh, in Afghanistan, talking about our withdrawal, the nation's withdrawal, and, and the drawdown after 20 years of the war on terror. Okay, so, so Frank was bringing up some points, and Amy uh, I think, had some I think Frank, I, this is why I love Frank. He is, an, he is an idealist. I consider myself to be a pretty optimistic idealist, too. But I would say... Um, and, 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 and Arlo was bringing up the point that we tried, we went in there and tried to change, we got bogged down in trying to change people who are culturally different from us. And Frank took issue with that. And I would say this, I don't know that everyone tried to change people culturally, but we did try to change their culture. They had some very sexist, um, and I think they, they, I, I am happy that they, that we did try to change their minds about that. And we did try to get girls going to school and, and that women didn't have to be accompanied by a man to go anywhere in society there. They, they could have jobs. They could be doctors or teachers or whatever. So but, but those are cultural issues. And we did yeah. try to change them and we did try to address those. And some of those were even addressed. I remember listening to, uh, Hillary Clinton during the Bo Bergdahl stuff talk about how, 
women's rights were human rights and there would be no peace deal if it didn't include women's rights. Those are those are also, no. though, I would say cultural issues. And we I don't know that we always I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for that because, you know, you guys both know me. I'm like 100 percent in on this, these issues. But I also don't know that we brought people to the table in a way that made them want to champion those issues for themselves. I don't know. You guys were on the ground. So, Frank, go for it. I, I mean, so, yeah, of course we of course we were doing that. But that wasn't a uh, – I mean, if we, if we go back to before the Soviet invasion, you, got, you go back to the 70s and, and, you know, late 60s, and you take a look at Afghanistan and its, its culture then, and it was uh, not this thing that you just described that we were fighting Absolutely. against. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so the so Taliban that an, took him back to the Stone Ages. Yeah, the Taliban was a part of that, and so did all. You know, you had people coming from all over the freaking globe to fight the 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 jihad. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Islamist, um, you know, uh, fundamentalism got a got a hold and started to eradicate the the liberties of the people. All right, so so that that. A cultural thing, yes, that was injected into Afghanistan that we were trying to um, fight back against. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is so that is correct in that way. But that isn't to say that the Afghan we were trying to change Afghan culture. So Frank, if you don't think we made some cultural missteps that we didn't get bogged down in sort of not, un, not understanding the where no, did we I'm, get bogged down? Where did, what, not, what, what, what went wrong? I'm not totally disagreeing with that statement. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm just dis- that that one part of the statement, which is to say that that's what that we were trying to change their culture, and that's and we were really trying to be careful not to just inject our culture upon them. We were really trying hard to do that, which uh, is a very changing thing. Yeah, especially as a military person. I mean, you guys know this. You're not trained to be culturally sensitive. That's you know, true. You know, so that's wrong. Totally wrong, Amy. It is. Very, it is. Oh, oh yeah. I was so we go. Much. We go through you. There is a lot of training that goes up to, you know, uh, sort of indoctrinating you into certain cultural aspects when you deploy. I mean, yeah. it's you know they go you know so far as you know like which hand you should shake with. Make sure mm. you don't show. The bottoms of your feet when you're gathered with elders because that's disrespectful in their country. And, I mean, the military does a good job of trying to give you, you know, the basic overarching picture of the culture as a whole. So that way you attempt not to – so that way you're informed enough not to violate cultural taboos. That's good to know. I didn't know that because that certainly wasn't the case in Vietnam. No, we look, we care. This is what I'm telling you, and this is what I'm trying to say to you guys. This, what we did there is amazing. It's imp- we improved so much on our approach. However, it also bogged us down by, by working so hard, and this is what Arlo was saying. We got bogged down in that effort to try to be so careful with culture and trying to help them to you know, bring out of themselves. So when you, li- when you, have, a, when you have liberty... Um, there's a, an assortment of things that can happen, right? If you've been oppressed and you have a sudden liberty, if you knew a liberties before then, if you had a passion and an understanding that those things are with you, these liberties that you want to express, there can be an explosion of a cultural explosion mm-hmm. of like sudden 
ultra liberty, right? We're like, <laughs> we're so free. We're so, we want this so badly that we're going to do everything. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up, right? And with, you know, and, and the arts should express that. You should mm-hmm. see that in the culture, in the arts, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, and then, of course, you see that, you know, ripples of that, it affects everything, right? Yeah. I want to um, get to what can people do to help veterans? Like you guys have talked about a little bit about how you have felt like what 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 is helpful to people who want to support veterans for their service? Arlo? Uh, I was going to let Frank go first, but okay. I mean, there these days there's so many different organizations that help veterans. I think I, I mean, I know Frank runs one. Um, I'm involved with, uh, team RWB. Um, but I think right now, one of the things that veterans need and and rather want is accountability. There is currently nobody's being held accountable for the failures. And it's not just one person. You can't just blame Biden or you can't just blame, you know, the secretary of defense. And say, oh, well, they should have known. No, there was a systematic failure at multiple levels. And in order to prevent catastrophes like this from happening again, those responsible at all the different levels, whether they're still in public office or they're not, need to be held accountable for what happened. I mean, it is obvious. I mean, when the Secretary of Defense says, well, I thought it would go better than this, and they gave it a month, but it collapsed in 11 days. That is somewhere along the line, somebody is feeding misinformation, and it's important to hold somebody accountable for that. Actually, so another friend of mine has started a political action committee to target individuals who are, you know, responsible for this. And holding people accountable for Basically it. funding an investigation into this, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's the uh, Afghan Afghanistan Accountability Pack is mm-hmm. what it's – and uh, it just he, – he And just, he's a veteran. Yeah, he's a veteran as well. I believe you've met him. It's yeah, Craig, Craig Bowden. And he's great, yeah. And yeah. he's tried running for office and he's been really politically active and speaks out on these issues. But I like that veterans are actually saying – we're not just going to take this. We're going to run for office. We're going to do something about it. Okay, here's real quick because okay. we're running out of time. In 30 seconds, I know this is terrible what I'm about to do. What's the future look like for Afghanistan, Arlo? There's there's hope there. There has to be. In what way? Uh, in, in the way that we can hope by the example that we've set that you know the younger generation decides that they want what they had when they had freedoms. And so now the Taliban's in there. They're older. They're kind of like a 2.0 version. You know, they're behaving themselves for the most part now. But it, it really is, do the Afghan people want, do they want liberty? Do they want freedom? And mm-hmm. and what it, will they do to get it? And and how far are they willing to go for it? They've been given a taste of it. So, you know, now it's, now it's, it's on them. Frank? Uh, um, so I got 30 seconds here. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, but I, I want to give you extra seconds because I want you to also to say what people can do for veterans. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let me just throw it at that then, then, cause, uh, um, 
so Arlo mentioned accountability, and I'm going to mention the uh, the scary part of that, and that's responsibility. And every single one of us has some, and and whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you have some. If you if your country went to war, and you were opposed to it, your country still went to war. And if you don't want to accept your responsibility for your country, that's you're you're failing there. You're not taking responsibility. You're refusing it. And responsibility doesn't always mean that you're guilty. It also means that you're not guilty and that you have to mourn the losses of things that you didn't want to see happen and that have happened beyond your control or anything you've done. And all of our country needs to do that. Um, Afghanistan needs to be doing that. We need to be doing this on a constant, right? Always being responsible because when we aren't and when we don't take responsibility, when we don't mourn, when we don't feel our remorse for things that we didn't mean to have happen that did, uh, when we don't feel our guilt for the things that we do wrong, um, we don't learn and we don't approach things with empathy. And, and when we are not doing those things, we're failing. We're not being responsible. We're being irresponsible. And you can't lead. You can't, you can't function appropriately in a world where life and death hang constantly uh, are being traded. Life is being traded for this, for these causes, for these intentions, and these purposes. And that is something that requires, we owe it to everybody that rests in the ground or has been burned and floats in the air, everybody, we owe it to them to be responsible for what we're doing and what we've done and where we go from here. And so, you know, I, I, I think that the Afghan people have a long fight ahead of them and I'm, I support them and, uh, and I love them and I hope, I hope the best for them. And um, and I'm praying for them, and I and I hope for our people and the people around the globe who have put so much heart and effort into this. Twenty years, I mean, people are dying over there. Okay, we're going over there and and giving it up. Families are getting broken up by the constant division of a of a war fighter going over there and fighting. Okay, they're coming home and they're crazy and they're angry and they're hurt and they're emotionally unstable because where is their responsibility? Where's the responsibility of their leaders? And everybody wants to shirk it off, especially our general public, who got so exhausted with war so quickly. Right. And they're not even carrying it. They don't even know that our own warfighters come home and don't even know what they've been doing. That's how, that's, how, that's how we've been doing this. And that's so irresponsible that it's causing men and women to kill themselves in such rates that it's unfathomable to me. Yet I watch it. And it blows my mind still every day. And though I've experienced those feelings and I've been there, it still is blowing my mind because I know that there's an answer here and it is responsibility. Listen, I want to say thank you to Arlo Doyle and Frank DeVito uh, for a great discussion. Thank you so much. Uh, Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at AD on Sports and at Jason Lee one Our show's Twitter handle is at VORpodcast. 
Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any other places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, along with Amy Donaldson, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.